Welcome to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneurs Podcast. My name is Fergal Byrne. Every week, I talk to inspiring social entrepreneurs and changemakers dedicated to building a better world. Here, they tell their stories, the highs and the lows, and share what they have learned to help other social entrepreneurs and changemakers on their journey. There's a lot of inspiring stories and books out there that are about, you know, the one person who quit their job and started an NGO and a poor country and transformed everything. And those are laudable and commendable. Um, but the truth is, most people, millions of people on the planet, can't do that for many reasons, for the constraints they have in their job and their family. Um, and what Everyday Ambassador sets out to do is to empower people, no matter where you're at in your life, to be making a difference in the world at many different levels without having to make those types of changes. Because when you're writing a book, you really have to think about the structure, about how you're structuring your messaging to get a point across. And I thought it was a great exercise in being able to make all of these thoughts that I think a lot of people have and a lot of people ponder um, into a set of really clear and concrete messages. So uh, the book itself focuses on four pillars of everyday ambassadorship, and those are empathy, patience, focus, and humility. And it's structured around how we can build those four values in our lives every day as a guiding point to being more everyday ambassadorial. I'm very pleased today to introduce Kate Otto. Kate is founder and CEO of Everyday Ambassador, an organization helping schools and organizations create lasting, positive social change. She's also author of the best-selling book, Everyday Ambassador, Making a Difference by Connecting in a Disconnected World. Thank you very much for taking the time to speak to inspiring social entrepreneurs. My pleasure. Looking forward to talking to you and hearing about your journey and some of the things you've learned along the way and your vision over the coming years. Maybe you could just tell us a little bit about what you're doing today and then we can talk about how you got there. Uh, well, thanks so much for having me on, and um, it's a pleasure to be able to share this story with your audience. My name's Kate Otto, and I'm the author of a book called Everyday Ambassador, Making a Difference by Connecting in a Disconnected World, and I'm also a founder of Everyday Ambassador, which is a global network of people and organizations who care very much about human connection and their pursuit of making a difference in the world. And what Everyday Ambassador does, both as a book and as a greater movement, is it highlights organizations and people who have mastered this idea of uh, effective human connection and meaningful human connection, which might sound like it's not a very difficult or complicated thing, uh, but as we might talk about today, I, I actually think in the 21st century with all of our digital connection, human connection sometimes is harder and harder to come by. Great, great. You talk about the idea of connection. To what extent do you emphasize face-to-face connection as well as networks and social networks, as you say? Mm, yeah, so the, the idea of human connection can actually happen in a very meaningful way whether it's offline and face-to-face or whether it's digitally and it's on an online platform. And there's so many amazing platforms out there today that billions of people are using to connect in ways that otherwise we never would have been able to. And that's kind of the golden rule of Everyday Ambassador is that technotastic when we use it to connect with people we otherwise wouldn't be able to connect with. Destructive when it ends up creating distances between us and and people who we otherwise have right around us or could be reaching out to. And so a kind of a, a simple and quick example of that that most of us experience on a daily basis is if you're conversing with someone 
over a meal or in the hallway and they pull out their cell phone to text someone or to answer a message or to tweet something. Um, it just feels like you don't have their full attention. It feels like they're somewhere else when you're right there with them. Um, and that happens all the time. And my hypothesis and what I, I talk about in the book is that this is happening to all of us all the time. And if we don't pay attention to it, then it might be conditioning us to be less good at human connection. What motivated you to do this, to follow this path? Sure. So my career has been for the past six, seven years in international public health. And I've worked for the World Bank and USAID and Mercy Corps, which is a large nonprofit organization um, and a non-governmental organization. And I have loved traveling all over the world. I've lived and worked in Indonesia, Ethiopia, Ghana, South Africa, Guatemala. I've uh, had lots of great chances to meet people all over the planet. And a lot of my work has involved using technology to improve people's lives. Uh, specifically, I work in mHealth. Um, so I got a great appreciation for how fantastic technology can be to connect people. But at the very same time, I was realizing primarily in my own life and then by observation to others around me, that when I would be on my phone or on my device, it was happening all the time, like too often for my comfort, that I would be so distracted by the number of things I could multitask at one time and would feel compelled to do at one time, that I would really be not paying attention to people around me. Uh, and so I found myself in the middle of this conflict between appreciating and seeing how much of a difference this human connection makes, when, especially when you're connecting with people from different cultures and backgrounds, but then how easy, how dangerously easy it was for me to get distracted and forget about people right around me. Yes, we're all familiar with that, I think. What exactly do you do and where's the focus of your activities in, in the Everyday Ambassador group and connecting work? Sure. So Everyday Ambassador aims to be a resource for either people who haven't yet started developing their career or their life trajectory and want to be in the field of serving others and making a difference in the world. So we aim to provide resources that help them find great organizations to get involved with. Um, you know, there's so many organizations in the world today who talk about the good they're doing. But as you and I both know, organizations aren't actually doing good. It's it's marketing, it's advertising, and the substance of what they're doing is really making a change. In fact, sometimes it's making the world a worse place. Um, and so what we try to do is for the gold standard organization to really do a great job of incorporating oftentimes foreigners into other communities where they can really be helpful and not be just not be a distraction, not be taking resources from people, but be supportive and helpful. Um, we do webinars we do twitter chats we try to uh, we have a blog that we publish six out of seven days a week and all of these resources are meant to uh, support individuals in, in their pursuit of creating a life and a career for themselves that's on target with this idea of meaningful human connections and i think while a lot of people who come to our resources are younger and still thinking about what to do with their lives um, we also have a really um, solid audience of people who are already in this sector uh, who agree that we have to be careful about valuing human connection and so they contribute a lot to, to this community can you give me some examples of some some organizations or some initiatives that you've worked with recently and give me a sense of how how this actually works in practice yeah, yeah. So one group that's been a partner of ours for a long time is called the Foundation for Sustainable Development. 
Um, they're an example of a larger organization who offers not just young people or students, but also professionals, um, people at any age, the chance to go abroad and do service work. But they curate these trips with communities who they've been working with for a long time. So when you go to do this trip, it's not as if you're parachuting in for a week and no one's ever been there and there's a steep learning curve. Um, you're going as part of a relationship that already exists and and. Um, if it, and that's one group that we you know writes on our blog occasionally that we'll do a webinar with. Um, there's about we have about thirty five partners at the moment, and this year ahead, the book came out in May, and from May 2015 to May 2016, Everyday Ambassador has a campaign called the Year of Connection going on, and so our commitment is we're we're adding a hundred new partners, people like this group I just talked about who do this type of work to be able to give more uh, vision and inspiration to the people who come to our website. Um, and we are encouraging people as well in their everyday life to be forming a hundred new connections over the next year. Right. Right. When you say a hundred new connections, how do they measure those connections or what does it mean really a connection? For Everyday Ambassador, we're talking about bringing on new partnerships, but what we mean with people um, who are, who are visitors and, to the site and members of the community are um, a human connection. So additional people who you otherwise wouldn't be interacting with that you're interacting with them. And if you, we are Instagram, the handle is at everyday ambassador. Um, our Twitter is at everyday AMB. And if you go to our Twitter or our Instagram or our, um, our Facebook, we're actually every few days, we're putting out an item, a year of connection item. And we have a hundred items and they're um, things like um, striking up a with your cab driver today um think of an old friend you haven't spoken with in years and call them out of the blue um things that we're encouraging people to do that are going to spark a moment of connection that otherwise they might have missed in that day that's wonderful in a way it's kind of civic connections and it extends into just all kinds of personal relationships as well doesn't it i suppose that idea that some people feel that people are getting a bit lost in their online worlds and very atomistic just concerned with their own interests and you know tapping into their own specialist groups who are interested in different things and i guess forgetting all the people that are around them yeah and and we also you know in the book and online we tend to feature some really remarkable organizations and people who who have been very heroic in changing their life to found an organization that changes the world. And we, we really want to make sure that people know that you don't necessarily need to do that to be an ambassador. You don't have to quit your job and start you know working for free at an NGO, or you don't have to um, you know take a job at a place that gives you no money, but you're serving people in order to do this. You can be someone who has you know, a great job who doesn't necessarily have a constant volunteer gig or anything, and you can still be an everyday ambassador because it's not about needing to have a certain income or passport or graduate degree. It's really just about in your everyday life finding these ways to connect with people. So it's more of a lifestyle that you take on no matter what your career is. Uh, and we really want to encourage people. So that's why we created the Year of Connection was to make it clear that it's not that you need to be this huge hero and make a huge transformation in your life. It's it's more the idea of getting in the habit of reaching out and connecting to people. Great, great. And and what's your vision, Kate, for where this is going over the next few years? So the vision is we would like to keep growing the community so that we become a really top resource um, for people who are planning 
their careers and lives, whether that's at a young age and you're starting to think about what should my major be and what should my types of job should I look for, or someone who's already in their career and thinking about, okay, how can I how can I change parts of my life so that I'm giving back more and I'm making more of a difference in the world within the life that, within the life I have with having a family, having a job, how I can change things to be to make more of a difference in the world. Um, it's really it's, the book itself is meant to be a guidebook. It's meant to be um, a piece of inspiration for individual people who are who are wanting to make a difference in the world and might feel like they they can't have um, a huge change in their life. There, there's a lot of inspiring stories and books out there that are about you know the one person who quit their job but started an NGO and a poor country and transformed everything. And those are laudable and commendable. Um, but the truth is most people, millions of people on the planet can't do that for many reasons for the constraints they have in their job and their family. Um, and what everyday ambassador sets out to do is to empower people, no matter where you're at in your life to be making a difference in the world at many different levels without having to make those types of changes. That's great. That's brilliant. On your own personal journey, how has it been building this up? I mean, writing a book is quite a, a, a thing to do. It's uh, not something done lightly, yeah. and and presumably that's taken a certain amount of time, some years to to you know come together. What has been your insights into being somebody who's supporting change makers, but also people at a say as a more in just simple level, being you know more humane and engaging with other people? Yeah, well, it's been such a fantastic process um, writing the book because. I come from the, the social sector and I am someone who's, you know, professional circles and most of my social circles are people who are already part of this community of folks whose, whose jobs make a difference in the world every day um, and who have had the privilege really of getting an education or getting job opportunities that allow them to do that. Um, and what I didn't realize until I sat down to write this book was that a lot of the blog writing and speaking I had done until then was really just preaching to the choir, was really talking to people who already believed these things who already had opportunities in their lives to to have impact and so as I was writing the book I, I absolutely adored my editor um, and my publishers they really helped me think about how to shape the message to reach everybody to reach people who have that desire in their hearts to want to make a difference in the world but really are never going to be able to craft a specific career necessarily in the social sector um, but can still make an enormous impact um, and and also you know this coming at a time when there's been such a surge in technology use and social media use I mean even when I started my work in public health that was before cell phones were such a um you know, prevalent thing all around the world. And as as my work in public health continued, it became the key tool to figuring out how to reach communities, how to make a difference in the world was the idea of mobile communication and social media. And this, so the, the beauty and the power of technology to be a connective force and an uplifting and empowering force was happening in my life professionally. But at the same time, I was seeing all these dangers to it as well. So, um, so it was really cool to be able to put these thoughts into the book because when you're writing a book, you really have to think about the structure, about how you're structuring your messaging to get a point across. And I thought it was a great exercise in being able to make all of these thoughts that I think a lot of people have and a lot of people ponder um, into a set of really clear and concrete messages. So uh, the book itself focuses on four pillars of everyday ambassadorship, and those are empathy, patience, focus, and humility. And it 
structured around how we can build those four values in our lives every day as a guiding point to being more everyday ambassadorial. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Um, what we could all do with <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> a bit more of those qualities in our life. And, and um, I guess the, the lesson is that they're not innate, that they are they can be cultivated and developed. Yeah, and there's the the one that I usually like to the one I usually make the quick example of is um, so for example empathy. You know, I mean, most of us are taught from a young age that empathy is important and that we should be kind to others and you know put yourself in someone else's shoes is a phrase we've all heard and um, are told is good to live by. But in a digital world, when you think about it, something like Facebook, for example, I'm not sure about you, but I. I generally have most friends who have similar political beliefs to me. And so if someone ever says something that completely disagrees with my political or social point of view, um, or I find defensive, the, the natural inclination that people have is to either unfriend that person or hide them from your timeline. Um, because why would you want to see that? You want to see things that you agree with. And so because we spend so much time, or a lot of people spend a lot of time on these platforms, what's happening, I think, is there's almost this polarization happening where you're so used to just seeing people who agree with you that when you're offline naturally you're going to interact with the higher diversity of people because you don't know who believes what upon seeing someone um the the way you react to those differences i i think is more difficult in a world where you're so conditioned to just be surrounded by things you agree with um in a digital way and so for, that's why empathy is one of the four everyday ambassador values because i actually think it's very hard to get nowadays i think it's something you have to work really hard at cultivating and curating um and, and is something i certainly work on every day and have to um keep trying to build that in my life that's right people get isolated in their own little worlds um everybody shares the same view and yeah. um that's very interesting is there a generational aspect to this as well i'm just wondering you know the, the younger generation who are so much more technology you know uh savvy or just live lives that you know more, much more embodied and familiar with all of these social media tools and so forth and do you get a sense of how younger people maybe are there changes taking place are they looking at things differently i do i do think there's a generational difference although i think that the potential dangers of technology are making us less good at human connection. I think that's applicable to all generations. But I think that if you're from a generation who had formative years and adult years when social media was non-existent and you did curate and cultivate those social skills, I think you're less susceptible, or at least you, you know another world, you know another way of doing things. Whereas uh, so, some the younger part of the millennial generation and, and lower, um, if you've grown up with this always universally being around you and you don't actually know of another way to do things. I think reading Everyday Ambassador is much more of an eye-opener and, and shocking in some ways because you haven't actually been presented with this other viewpoint. It's something that's brand new to you. Whereas someone who's from another generation might read Everyday Ambassador and think, oh yeah, I remember when things were like this, or I think that you know this is something I'm very familiar with and think is a good thing. Yes, absolutely. Who supported you on your way? I mean, you've been involved with the Catherine Reynolds program in social entrepreneurship and yeah. some of these other, the W World Economic Forum, I think, and things like uh -huh. that. I mean, how important are, you know, these kind of support mechanisms and what, what has been your experience? 
Oh, they're so important, and I appreciate you mentioning those. So there's a few communities, very service-oriented communities that I've been very fortunate to be a part of. Um, so the, the Catherine B. Reynolds Program in Social Entrepreneurship is a very vibrant community at NYU um, that uh, from 2006 onward has really been the hub of people um, at NYU and, and in greater greater in New York City learning about social entrepreneurship and having opportunities to be involved with it and, and understand it. Um, also, the, the Catherine Reynolds um, and, and her husband Wayne Reynolds have a group called the Academy of Achievement, which I am a, um, a delegate of, and the Truman Scholarship in Public Service is a, natural, a national scholarship um, focused on public service, um, as well as the Henry Luce Foundation community, which is the group that I, fir- I traveled abroad with to Indonesia, and that was the longest time I had ever been living abroad thanks to that um, fellowship. So there's been... A lot of people focusing on public service, international relations, um, social entrepreneurship, and these groups have really, the, the, the human network of people who are actively doing work in these spaces, being linked to them, seeing their careers develop, seeing the challenges and the questions that they're facing and helping one another through it as a team and as a community a lot has allowed me to um, shape Everyday Ambassador. So there's been so many occasions when I've been able to share the idea as it's developing and have their feedback on it. Um, and also now that it's out, find ways for this the, the curriculum, essentially, that is the book to be utilized and, and made use of um, through a lot of these networks as well. What would you recommend to people who, you know, want to uh, step up to the next level? You know, the, the, these qualities you're talking about, which are really important, but some people may not be able to do more. Others may have an appetite. They want to be more involved. They're interested, perhaps, in either working in some kind of social entrepreneurial environment or, you know, becoming more involved. When it comes to these kind of support groups, what would you say? I mean, what would you recommend? So, so that's a great question. For people who really want to take it to the next level and have the ability to, to really be shaping their lives in a direction of social enterprise, social entrepreneurship, um, we have a weekly column called Bucket List, which we publish every Saturday, which is really focused on communities of people who are looking to take a next step. So um, that's a resource that Everyday Ambassador offers, as well as um, anytime someone will want a connection to one of our partner organizations who are featured on the website as well, who are all at a professional level getting people involved in this type of work. Um, and then, it, of course, I just encourage people whenever they have the chance, usually in most major cities, um, in the States and abroad, there are different types of hubs, um, social innovation hubs, um, social entrepreneurship hubs, communities of people who care about um, technology and innovation and social change. So usually if you're if you're in a metropolitan area, you can even just Google it and look it up um, and find communities of people to be involved with because just getting that offline time with people to talk about their careers and see what they're up to, um, I think is just really invaluable. That's interesting. Can you give me a sense of the the lay of the land when it comes to you know social entrepreneurship generally and feelings towards uh, making a difference and doing more? I mean, certainly in the UK, there's a growing interest in that, and certainly amongst younger people as well, wanting to work in an organisation that makes a difference. And what's your sense of you know how that's developing in 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 America and what what you know younger people are looking for? Yeah, um, I am so happy to say that I have a very similar view in the States where I think that it's become very trendy and socially cool to be involved in service work. And that's so great. And that's that's really fantastic. 
Um, at the same time, it also causes me concern um, because as I've seen the social entrepreneurship community grow and evolve, um, as with any major growth and any major movement, you, um, you, you, you definitely in the social enterprise space will have people who I, I assume the best of everyone. I think everyone want, has the heart to want to do good, but there's just a lot of cases where people create products or or brands or business plans that are intending to have a good social impact, but don't actually or have a harmful one. And I think that the trouble is that when you're in a mode of pitching and you're in a mode of having to show a quick return on investment, you'll design things in a way that will that will do that. But the truth is, is social change takes a long time. Um, whether you're working on issues of education or healthcare or social justice, things take time. It takes a, a commitment over time to a place to really see through a change. And I think that the interest and fascination in social entrepreneurship sometimes comes in spurts where people have this great passion and want to do something about it, but want to see an effect happen right away. And so they're drawn towards things that make them feel like they're having an instant impact um so for example uh like the buy one give one model is something that's become increasingly popular a lot of social enterprises are building their brands around that tom shoes was one of the first to really do it successfully um and it's really great to have options on the market that allow you to do something like when you're buying a pair of shoes you're giving a poor child one the somewhere in the world that that's awesome and I, and I don't mean to have any criticism of that spirit and of the um the goodness of that spirit um in reality as as anyone can see if they uh look into this or research it those models are actually really dangerous sometimes and for a while tom's uh had some problems with that model where for example if you're going to just be donating a bunch of shoes to a village in ethiopia uh, whoever it was that was selling shoes around there prior to it, you're putting out of business, and that's not good for the local. It's never good for a local economy in a poor place to be dumping donations in. That's like rule number one. It's terrible. Um, but someone from a higher income country who's never lived in a place like that or had that experience naturally wouldn't know that or wouldn't think to know that. They think, oh, it's great. This kid doesn't have shoes, and I'm giving them shoes. That's not actually what's happening. A donations coming in, it could be damaging the local economy, and it's not as if at that time at the beginning or some of these other models, um, it's not always as if a kid is getting their foot measured and a shoe made for them and something that fits. They're used to, I mean, Tom's has made changes, and um, I think they've made some improvements to this now, um, but there were criticisms before that there would be, like, literally a dumping of donations. You don't know what shoes fit what people. Some kids will have shoes that don't fit them and then cause them even more problems, um, jealousy of who gets what, you, could, you don't have enough for everybody in a place. So it, sometimes the, the great spirit behind wanting to have a social impact, in the short term you're thinking, I've given a pair of shoes to a poor kid, that's awesome. Um, but the truth is, is that to get a pair of shoes to a child who needs them is much more complicated than that, and it requires a lot more steps and a lot more thoughtfulness. Um, and, and there are some buy one, give one companies that put in that thoughtfulness, um, I think, and put in that effort, but unfortunately, because that becomes very popular and then for, it's attractive to customers, a lot of people can get away with advertising that business model and not following through on the thoughtfulness of making sure the right things get to the right people these social problems are so complex and intractable in many ways it's difficult isn't it to the best of intentions or you know unintended consequences and so forth 
but it seems that there are that the you know the innovation is taking place in business models ways of thinking ways of approaching this and uh, presumably as long as change makers and entrepreneurs are open to you know presumably their aims and aspirations are for the best and therefore they're you know willing to change and improve and because it's still relatively early stage in the development of this whole sector i suppose and therefore established business models and ways of doing things are aren't quite there yet Right. And I think one thing that's helpful, I know that I've been involved with, um, just as an example, so NYU's Reynolds programs, which you referenced before, um, we do something called a Changemaker Challenge, where this is for, for undergrads mostly, but undergrads who have ideas for social enterprises, um, who might have even started them already, will put together a business plan, which then gets real thoroughly analyzed and assessed by folks at the Reynolds program, they choose a set of finalists and then they have an expert panel of judges um, give feedback on these pitches. And the people who are judges are not just business people. They, they include business people who are going to help with ideas of return on investment and finance design. Um, but there's also social impact specialists, so people who are going to be able to critically say, listen, this might look like 100% gold on, on paper with how you're saying it in terms of making money, in terms of it being a sustainable, viable business, but this is going to hurt a community or this is not going to be helpful at all. Um, and so you get downgraded for that. And you're, so you won't win the competition. It's, it's something that, Matt, you have to have high um, capacity on all those levels. But, but rather than just you know reject a bad idea or give criticism, the, the judges in the program works with these people to rebuild their business plan and their model so that it is impactful on all levels. And I think those types of incubator communities and those types of in-person mentorship and feedback are so valuable um, in the social innovation space. Yeah, absolutely. What about the funding side of things? Because I know often in the nonprofit sector that the influence of the donor can be quite great in terms of how the organization operates or maybe some of the goals that they set and so forth. In the, I guess, social enterprise arena, the funding is, an, is, is also an issue, as you, you mentioned, the you know, maybe need for you know, clearer returns or faster returns. What's your sense of the, the lay of the land there and, and is it changing? I'm, I have heard people say that it is, it's a challenging environment, particularly at the very early stages. Mm, I agree. I think it is. I think people who are fortunate enough to have um, either friends who can support their venture at an early stage or family um, can get it to a place where then they're ready to pitch to bigger investors, angel investors. Um, I think there's definitely a lack of funding available for early stage development. Uh, and that is, is unfortunate because I think a lot of people who don't have access to capital uh, are going to not have their ideas heard. Um, and I, I think there's a lot of space for improvement in the investment arena with people paying more attention to those early stage um, ideas. Uh, that said, I do think that there's a lot of great investment that is going on by angel investors. Also by, you know, one example I love because I work in public health is the, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and they are really well known for finding um, healthcare innovations, usually people at a later stage uh, who are already actively working in labs on different new technologies or tools. Um, but they're, they think creatively. They really think outside the box and try to figure out if this pro the social problem is attractable we must need a very different and creative solution to solve it so let's give a lot of funding to explore what some of those solutions could be and knowing that some of them might not pan out to be the ultimate solution 
But I think that it, that willingness to experiment and invest um, in development is a lot of uh, a lot of foresight and is very has been very helpful um, to health innovations at least in that particular sector. So I think there's a lot of room for improvement. I wish there were more people who are willing to work with um, people in the early stages of some of these social enterprise ideas. Um, but thankfully, it, it definitely is different now than it was five or ten years ago, and there's more attention there. Uh, this has been a greatly interesting conversation, Kate. I guess one last question for you, maybe. Uh, what what inspires you and what keeps you going when things are difficult? That's a great question. Um, I mean, so I, I've always, like I said, worked in the health sector. And the reason I was attracted to that is because, to me, that's a very universal thing that unites all people, whether you grew up in a rural part of a uh of a developing country or whether you grew up in a very rich uh, city somewhere, um, no matter your socioeconomic or racial or, or gender difference, everybody needs good health care. Um, and so for me, I tend to think, and I'm also in medical training right now to be a doctor as well. So I think about that a lot, but for me, what inspires me is the idea of um, when I am I'm so aware that there are interventions and there are things that people do to go out of their way to help somebody that literally change or save their lives. It is possible. The idea of how possible it is for us in our everyday lives to make a huge difference. Um, I, I'm lucky enough to see it a lot. Um, in my work, but I also, once I opened my eyes to it, started seeing it more in personal non-work environments too. So that that idea of how much power a single person has to really transform the world by reaching out and helping someone is something that constantly is in my mind and constantly pushes me to want to share Everyday Ambassador, get more people to feel that sense of empowerment, and get more people to really take action and understand the power that they have to change someone's life and really transform the world in a positive way through literally everyday actions. Wow, very inspiring. Thank you very much, Kate, and I wish you the very best of success with your work. Thank you so much, Fergal. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneur Podcast. I hope you found this interview inspiring. Please make sure to visit www.inspiringsocialentrepreneurs.com and subscribe to make sure you don't miss any future podcasts.